The Gospel of John, starting in chapter 13. John tells us it was before the Feast of Passover, and again tells us Jesus knew that his hour had come, he would depart out of the world to the Father, and that he had loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And so then during supper, the devil already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot uh, to to betray Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God, was going back to God. And so got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. I didn't read that directly. It it reads a little strangely, but he's just basically conveying all that information to set up um, what's about to happen. So Judas is, uh, you know, Judas is going to betray him. Jesus knows all this, but instead of worrying about that, he lays aside his garments, he takes a towel, and he gets ready to wash his disciples' feet. Now, washing someone's feet in that culture, in that day, it was the lowliest of jobs. It would be your lowest-ranking slave that would do that. You know, probably most people couldn't afford a slave, and so they would be washing their own feet. But to wash someone else's feet, that would be just... um, you know, that's a disgusting job because they walked around in streets where animals um, had, you know, pooped in the streets. And so they'd be they'd have open toe sandals and they'd be walking through this stuff. It was just their feet were dirty and nasty. And to wash your own feet was gross. To wash someone else's feet was especially gross. And it was just lowly. It was something you wouldn't do. Um, it's the lowest of the lowest slaves jobs. And um, uh, certainly a rabbi would not be doing this in that culture for his disciples. And yet, what are we about to see? He started to wash the disciples' feet. And so he came to Simon Peter and said, and Simon says, or Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter says to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Peter says, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And that's because he knew Judas was going to betray him. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also ought, that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master." nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that it when it does occur you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, for he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So he is 
explaining the paradigm of leadership in the kingdom. And he's about to go, and this is the beginning of just this incredible teaching for the next four chapters on kingdom life. And um, so let's break down from, from the beginning. So Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing, but you will understand later. And what he's doing is, he's, as I just said, he's teaching them that the model of the kingdom is not the way the kingdoms of the world are modeled. That it's not everyone serving the king, it's the king serving everyone. It's those in any position of leadership or authority serving those under them, under him or her. And so he's, he's showing them the model is flipped upside down. So here I am washing feet. And it's, you know, there's, um, there's, there's little groups here and there where they make washing, literally washing feet, there's some religious act. And and I've done that once before, and and you know if the Lord leads you to do that, great. But it, it he's teaching a, a a principle uh, more than anything by doing the lowliest of acts as a service to his disciples. He's showing them that he has lived his life as a service to them, and that as he goes into uh, the afterlife that he returns as one who serves through Holy Spirit, that his eternity is to serve them, and that this is the model for them, that as they come and are elevated in the Lord, as they are filled with the Holy Spirit and give their lives to teaching others, that their life is a service to these others, that it's not about being a king and priest under the order of Melchizedek, is not about everyone going around kowtowing to you. It's about serving others and helping raise them up so that they can come in to the same order. Peter, of course, is usually exuberant and <laughs> says, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, you're going to be about this work too. I, I'm going to do the lowliest, dirtiest job of picking you up out of the muck, but you you know, you're going to clean yourself also. You're going to give yourself to this work. So in our spiritual life, God does what is impossible for us. Uh, but we have to give ourselves to this work. And in the same way, Jesus says, look, you can bathe yourself, but you walk through dirty streets, your feet are going to be need to be cleaned. And I'm going to do that for you. Um, in our spiritual life, we have to give ourselves to the Lord. We have to seek the Lord. We have to want the Lord. We have to be willing to die to ourselves in order to take on his life. But we can't give ourselves his life. Only he can give us that. And he very much, that's his goal and purpose for us is to give us that. And so as we, you know, separate ourselves from worldly things, from our old life and, and seek him, he will transform us. And he points that out with respect to Judas. He says, not all of you are clean. So he says, you know, figuratively, you all have uh, cleaned your bodies, and now I'm cleaning your feet to kind of finish the job for you. Um, however, not all of you have cleaned your bodies because one of you is scheming against me. And so you're not clean. And so me cleaning your feet is not going to do you any good because you're not clean. And so that kind of completes that section that principle
And so then he explains what he's done for them. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that's what I am. If I then, the teacher and the Lord, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So he's saying that there's coming a time when you're going to step into the role that I've fulfilled. And so I've been your teacher, I've been discipling you, but you're going to come into a time where you're going to be in the pos- position to represent me. And you're going to disciple others. And so just as I've laid my life down to raise you up, you need to lead, lay your lives down to raise others up. I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. So this is the paradigm of discipleship. That we raise up others to be like us. That we do everything we can to be like Christ. And then we raise up others to be like us who is like Christ. It's this continual um, seeking further and further. It was told to me the other day that like the tip of the sword, or the tip of the spear, that uh, you know, that the deeper I go into the kingdom, the the deeper I can bring others into the kingdom. And of course, that's true <laughs> uh, for me as I'm discipled. And so, th- this this principle of um, going deeper and helping others go deeper, more into this life. So we step more into the kingdom reality, the spiritual, eternal existence, while we are walking in this earth and in this body, even though we're surrounded by a dying world. 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So he says, in in discipling, you, your your purpose is to raise people up to be like you. Meanwhile, you you're supposed to be, you know, giving your all, you know, as you're discipled. the 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 idea is that we all become like Christ. None of us are going to be greater than Jesus. Obviously, he was the Passover Lamb. Um, he modeled the life for us. The idea, of, and I don't think anyone struggles with this idea, but the idea is not to be greater than Christ, but we are to be like Jesus. That is his purpose for us. He came to bring us into this life so that God would have many sons. And so as we are discipled, it should be to become more like Jesus. As we disciple others, it should be to become more. And we can only bring others up into what we've achieved. So we should always be looking to become more like him, seeking him, that he transform us and grow us up. So that as we disciple others, uh, they become, you know, the, 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 the limits are continually stretched of how close we can become like Jesus. And I... And and I, I truly believe, because I know God's purpose is to raise up many sons, and there's so many signs and understandings that this is the time when he's fulfilling it in our generation. And so uh, he's going to do it more miraculously, more incredibly than we can even imagine uh, as we give ourselves to him, to this work, as we willingly leave the world behind, give ourselves to him. He says, and this is a powerful and important verse because a lot of us know stuff. A lot of we, there may be people re- listening to this who know the Bible better than me, 
but do we do it? I can be guilty of that at times. And the kingdom life is not about knowing stuff. The Pharisees knew a lot of stuff. Um, There are many great Bible teachers that know a lot of stuff, but don't have the kingdom in them. It's not about knowing stuff. It's about living this life, living these truths. And so, yes, learning is important for living, but if we stop at learning, if we're continual learners and never doers, then we're wasting our time. It's it, 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 it's actually worse to know and not do than it is to not know. He, um, Jesus says repeatedly, we're judged more harshly for that. Um, we're expected to enter into this life and to live the reality that God is wanting to bring forth in mankind, not just know about it or believe in it, but actually give ourselves to this purpose so that we live this transformed life. Again, we cannot transform ourselves, but we can open ourselves up. We can separate ourselves from the things of the world, open ourselves up so that he fills us with his wisdom, with his truth, with his life, so that we enter into that kingdom. Then Jesus said, I do not speak about all of you because he knows Judas is going to betray him. And he says, this is to fulfill the scriptures, which said, he who eats my bread has lifted his up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. So he says, I'm, I'm telling you, Judas, he's not publicly naming Judas, but he's saying, Jesus is going to betray me and I'm well aware of this. Don't worry about it. It and I'm telling you so that you'll know when it happens. It's not that it caught me off guard. It's so that it fulfills the scripture. Because Jesus had to suffer in every way that we suffer. So that he could be the high priest for us. And I'm, I know this, this won't be posted until the day after the Day of Atonement. I'm recording it on the Day of Atonement. And so this is a day that Jesus fulfills the high priest going into the Holy of Holies and making a sacrifice for all the people's sins so that all the people are atoned for. And Jesus, of course, is that atoning sacrifice. And in order, and Hebrews talks about this a great deal, in order to be, um, to be a worthy sacrifice for all of us, he had to suffer in every way that we suffer. Uh, in, in every category, you know, he had to, he had to be um, tempted in every way. He had to suffer things like betrayal from a close friend. Uh, he had to suffer all of these things in order that he would understand. So he's not as a high priest that doesn't, doesn't understand the ways of the peasant. It's a high priest, that's a rich position, right? In the Levitical order, if you're son of Aaron, you're high priest, you're never hurting for money. You don't know what it's like to suffer in that way. Jesus knew every form of suffering that we go through. And, you know, again, Hebrews says that specifically, but here we see one example. He had to be betrayed by a close friend because he had to suffer in every way we do. His suffering was not just that he died on a cross. His suffering was that he had to live three and a half years as a man going through, well, you know, 33 and a half years. He had to live a life of a man who suffers in every way that we suffer. 
this idea that he somehow was God on earth and like a walking God impervious to the ways of the world, it's a religious idea that is not found in the Bible. And it's not true if we understand God's purposes. He was a real man who suffered everything real men suffer. And he overcame all these sufferings and all these temptations and willingly obeyed the Father uh, in a way that Adam refused to, even though Adam didn't have to suffer. Jesus willingly laid his life down and followed every way. He obeyed in every way and in that suffered so that we might enter into that life too. For one, so that he could enter in in order to enter in and be worthy to reclaim the Garden of Eden, to reclaim the kingdom, to reclaim the plans and purposes of God for mankind. He had to obey in every way that Adam couldn't. And then by sacrificing himself for us, he atoned for the fact that we couldn't so that we can also enter into his life. 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And we see it also, I think it's Paul who says, if you receive a prophet, you receive a prophet's blessing. Uh, so, it, when we receive the one who... The, the, we we receive basically the spirit the the way of god in that way of the one we're receiving so the the person of god represents not only himself but the way of god in the person and so when we receive a teacher of god a teacher of the way of god we're receiving that way and we're blessed and we and receiving means you know, you can invite them into your home and you can uh, give them a room to stay in and feed them food. But if if you're not receiving what they're teaching, what they're passing along, then that's not really receiving. That's nice, you know, I mean, better than shutting the door in their face. But to receive them means to receive what they're teaching, to receive the spirit from them that we are taught and transformed by that. So he says, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. So if we receive, uh, you know, I'm, I'm discipled uh, by Emmanuel soon, and as I receive from him, I receive from the Spirit of the Lord. He's, he, you know, a, a tip of the spear for me going into the kingdom. Um, you know, I, I've, I've seen how I've grown amazingly over the years, but every time I talk to him, I come away going, wow, <laughs> he's grown, uh, you know, I'm amazed. Um, but he's, he's that tip of the spear. So when I receive him and receive what he's teaching, what he's sharing, I'm receiving the kingdom, the way of God from him, that I can grow further in this way. In the same way, you know, when we are received by others, um, that that's what they are receiving. So, this is the principle that he's teaching, that uh, God has built mankind to be his family, that would grow up and be transformed to be like him. And when 
that we are sent out in order to uh, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Because that's what we see in all the Bible. It doesn't talk about proclaiming the gospel of salvation. It talks about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Bringing God's kingdom order into the world, which is a return of the Adam and Eve Eden experience. Where God says, be fruitful and multiply. Um, be my people in the world. Be my family in the world. So he's, he's setting up a family to rule the world. But again, as we've just seen, it's not to rule as the way mankind thinks it should rule. It's not this, those people going around talking about seven mountain theories. We need to take over education. We need to take over the media. We need to take over the government. We need to... That's thinking how man thinks. That's not how God thinks. It's not about your glory. You're probably not going to get any glory from this. <laughs> You're going to serve others humbly. And you're gonna suffer, <laughs> and and uh, it it's not it doesn't look how mankind looks at it, being somehow your flesh is glorified. Your you know every desire is met. It's about God's desire being met. But as we do live this life, and yes, we suffer. Um, you know, today I'm I'm it's kind of early in the morning, so but I'm I I was praying last night about. Well, am I going to, because I just naturally, of course, fast after an early dinner every night. So that's not unusual, but I'm praying about, you know, and I also fast regularly. So it's sort of not special to do what I call a fast. But I think last year I I stepped it up a notch in, in what I did for the Day of Atonement. And for a while I was thinking, well, I just don't feel I need to this year. I don't, I'm not feeling necessarily called to. And as I kept praying about through the night, I thought, you know, Jesus considered the joy set before him to go to the cross. That's maybe a hard idea to get around because it goes against everything that the flesh stands for, that it could be a joy to suffer for the Lord. But that was kind of the idea that I came to uh, in order to suffer a little for the Lord. might be quite a joyful way to spend this day. And so I have a couple of ways I'm going to amp up my fast to make it a little more <laughs> difficult for myself. Uh, but if you look at it, if you're in your flesh and you look at it as... And, and this may be a good thing. I'm not saying if this is where you are, this might not be a good thing to go through because um, when we're new to fasting, the idea that um, just by fasting, it may, you know, the idea of it is your body's just screaming for food and water or whatever you're fasting from. Um, and you said to your body, no, I don't live by bread alone. I live by every word out of the Father's mouth. And so, I, you know, your needs are not what's important. I'm going to seek the Lord in this pain and suffering. And and I've had some incredible times with the Lord in the past through that. While my body was aching and I just kept pushing in in prayer to the Lord. And I heard him and answered the questions, things that I was seeking. And so that, that can be a very valuable thing. Um, um, but the, what I came to last night was what a... What a, just a, what a beautiful thing to sit through a little pain and suffering with the Lord 
and then just enjoy his company in it and just consider it a day of suffering as a day of joy with the Lord. <laughs> you know, he he suffered for the joy set before him. And wouldn't it be wonderful if I can experience a little of this with him? And so anyways, I for me, for myself, I decided to do it this way today. And I don't know what I'll do next year. I'm not trying to make a religion, but this is a day of the year that God set apart for that sort of thing. Um, and as we've talked about many times, these biblical holidays have importance. Um, God is far more concerned about how you spend all your life than he has, than he is concerned about you fulfilling some particular ritual on some particular day. But that does not mean the days are not important. He set them up for a reason. And all three of these fall feast holidays will be fulfilled by Jesus and by the people of Jesus in the, the years to come. As we look forward now to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which begins this weekend and goes to the next weekend as a one-week feast, um, that is a feast of the presence of God in the midst of his people where he is clearly their God and they are clearly his people. It commemorates when the people of Israel walked around the wilderness and they had food and they had water from the rock and their shoes did not wear out. They could depend on God and they would, there was no doubt. They were his and there was nothing else. There was no mixture in that. Now there was mixture in the people that had to be weeded out over 40 years, but there was a process of purifying the people Everyone who depended on him could depend completely on him. And he took care of their every need. And they became a more purified people of God. And he was with them. That is, there's meaning in all of that. And that will be fulfilled. And that holiday starts this weekend. And my personal belief is every year we get a little bit more of that. So I had a wonderful Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths last year. Um, and I'm expecting another wonderful one this year. Um, I, I also kind of believe some particular year or another, there will be some kind of more obvious fulfillment of that, but, but we shall see. Um, nevertheless, God set apart seven holidays in the Law of Moses. He fulfilled the four spring holidays through Jesus and the Holy Spirit in, in the New Testament. He will continue to fill the other three. Um, these ten things didn't happen by accident. They happened because this is the fulfillment of the purpose of God, and he will do it. And so these should be days when we seek the Lord and we um, look expectantly to see what he is doing and what he can teach us and how he will grow us. So back to our chapter, verse 21, Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And so the disciples are looking at each other because they don't know which one, you know, that's kind of awkward. <laughs> one of you, these guys have been traveling together for three and a half years and all of a sudden one of them is going to betray him. Who is it? Surely you're not saying I'm going to betray you, but you're saying one of these brothers of mine is going to betray us all. That's very awkward. And so there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. So that's kind of an interesting thing. 
Peter, in in some ways, was the closest to Jesus, right? I mean, Peter was given leadership of this new church. Um, but Peter felt like John had a unique closeness. I mean, it, it could have been specifically he was the one with his head on his chest. Um, but it could have also been that Peter saw that John had a certain unique kind of closeness or relationship that Peter felt more comfortable asking John to ask Jesus this question of who he's talking about. And so he, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And so, you know, that's interesting. He's told all of his 12 disciples, which are not all of his disciples. He's got a lot of disciples. Only 12 of them are in the room, as far as we know. Um, And certainly not the, you know, hundreds that have been following him. They wouldn't fit in the room. So he's got his closest disciples with him. We see this happen several times in the Gospels. Um, But then when it... So he tells all 12 that one's going to betray him. But then he's basically just telling his very closest ones the deeper secrets of exactly who it is that's going to betray him. So he gives it to Judas. And then after the morsel, Satan enters into him. And Jesus says to him, What you do, do quickly. Now no one on the, of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, Buy the things we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Can you imagine what Judas must have been experiencing at this point? He knows he's going to betray him. He thinks it's a secret. Now Jesus has talked about betraying him, and he's looked at him, and he says, Go and do it. Um, man, but I mean, Satan, Satan, when we let him in, can make us do horrible things that later when we, if we have that removed from us, we just feel terrible. But when, when we are being led by Satan, we can do the worst things and and he must've felt totally conflicted doing it, but he did it and it was nighttime. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and, as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me. Sorry, where I go, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a roaster will not crow until you deny me three times. So, that's the end of the chapter, but backing up a little bit, back to 31. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. So he says, I'm going to be glorified by completely obeying the will of the Father, which is going to entail them 
hurt, you know, whipping me, hurting me, and then lifting me up on a cross. And God is glorified in this obedience. This was always the idea that God would raise men as sons that would obey him in his teachings and be, be made more like him through this discipleship. And Jesus was the first one to actually do it. And so God was glorified in that. His wisdom is shown in the world and all of creation because here mankind has submitted itself, himself, to God's perfect will. And so God is glorified through Jesus being crucified on the cross because it shows God, Jesus' obedience and, and God's wisdom in being so far above the fallen wisdom of man. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. So, because God is glorified by this obedience, God puts his glory into the Son. And so the Son is immediately glorified through, in this case, Jesus, because he was the first one to do it and did it spectacularly on the cross. But he's immediately glorified through this obedience and through the new glory that is upon God through this obedience. You see that? By us obeying God, we actually glorify God. It's not because we sing lots of worship songs. It's because we obey that God receives glory. And there's no greater glory received by God than by Jesus obeying him completely, even to the point of the cross. And so God was glorified and God put his glory into a man. And for the first time, the full glory, not a fading glory like Moses had, because he certainly had a powerful fading glory that scared men to look at. But now the true internal glory of God in a man was now in Jesus. And then he calls them children because they have a long way to grow up into these things, right? He says, I'm with you no longer. I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So he's saying, I'm going into the afterlife and you cannot come there. But a new commandment I give to you, love one another, even as I have loved you. So he's shown, he's saying, I've shown you what love truly is. I've shown you the way of love that I've given up my life for you. Now you know what love is. Not the way the world talks about love. Not the sappy, let anyone do what they want to do. Let the, whatever their flesh wants. Let them do that and that's loving them. No. He says, give up your life that they grow closer to me. That is love. That is what I have done for you. Love one another in this way. And it, as you do, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, when you lay your lives down for each other, then there will be, that's, you know, we see that in earthly families, right? Earthly families do things for each other they would never do for strangers. Well, Jesus is saying, become my family, that you lay your life down for each other. And in this, people will be amazed that you do this thing and God will be glorified, and they will know that God is with you. And then, of course, they will be interested in knowing this God, because something that goes beyond their own understanding is happening here. 
And then, of course, Peter says, what are you talking about? Where are you going? He says, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. He says, you are going to enter this life, but it's just not possible for you yet. And so he says, well, I'll lay my life down. And, of course, he tells him the famous, uh, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times, which, of course, we know was fulfilled later on, much later that, you know, what we would call the early morning after that. And that, we'll we'll stop there today. That is John 13, and I pray the Lord blesses you.